being here. So um, she's bringing the word to us tonight, so we're just going to pray for her, and then, um, yeah, she's going to speak to us. So, Father, we just thank you for Victoria, Lord, and just pray that you'd really uh, bless her now, and just give her clarity of what you're saying. And Lord, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts as well uh, for the word you're about to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. I just looked at the clock and saw it said 20 past 7 and thought, oh great, I can go home now, I don't have to speak. <laughs> but no. Um, <laughs> I just really love the sense we have of growing family here now. And um, it's, yeah, it's just wonderful. And to be able to be looking into the one another so that we learn how to be, to love one another better and um, be a place that welcomes people whether they're in a good place or a difficult place. So, uh, yeah, so it's great to be part of it. And last week, Imogen was talking about, um, from Romans 12, about honouring one another and humility. And I just loved what you said about um, thinking of others more and thinking of yourself less and uh, how we can honour one another in our differences and things. It's just great. So I want to carry on tonight in that sort of like vein of um, honouring one another and with humility and in the context of love. Um, So she was talking from Romans 12 and at the end of Romans 13, Paul says, the whole law is summed up in this one rule, love your neighbour as your friend, as as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. So we're in Romans 14 tonight and looking at stop passing judgment on one another. How did I get to do this, I wonder. Um, So as I say that, stop passing judgment on one another, I wonder what your internal reaction is. Stop passing judgment on one another. You might think, oh, I'm fine, I don't pass judgment, I don't need to be here, I'll just go home. Or you might think, oh my goodness, I should put my head in my hands, I just know that I do this all the time. And you might think, most of the time I feel so much under judgment, I hardly know who I am. But the truth is, we all do it almost all the time. I used to be terrible in the car. Peter pointed it out when I first met him. I used to drive around and if anybody was driving too fast or too slowly, I'd shout with the windows up. I hate and I'd, pig! Nothing to do with my driving, obviously, but um, I'm healed of that now, you'll be glad to know. And I just whisper now, silly old bat. When I met Peter, first of all, um, because I like to understand how people tick. I used to ask him sort of deep and meaningful questions about who he is and all that sort of stuff. And of course, he'd never even thought about that, so he had no answer. And I'm ashamed to say, my thought was, wow, he's shallow. (laughs) But I can't believe anybody can be that shallow, so I'll just carry on asking. So (laughs) I carried on asking. And really quickly, he began to engage with my searching questions. And um, between us, we both discovered the great depth of who he actually is. And it was wonderful. And I learned how wrong I was in my judgment of him. 
So I want to look at passing judgment from, uh, stop passing judgment uh, from two points of view really. One is as Paul is writing this letter from one group of believers to another and also a bit about how um, it works out individually. So um, I'm going to ask Beth to come and read to us in a second but I just want to put it in the historical context before she does that. So there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Rome at that time. Um, the Jews were very unpopular, but they had the protection of the Emperor Claudius until they started rioting among themselves, the Jews rioting with the converts, the Jewish converts to Christianity. And at that point, he expelled them all from Rome. But five years later, he died, and with him, the rule died. So they all started to come back into Rome. So Paul is writing as the Jewish Christians are coming back into what was a Gentile church. Um, and uh, these last five chapters of Romans are basically telling us how to apply his righteousness in our lives as uh, we try and live out the truth of the gospel in ways that don't damage other believers and lead to peace. So Beth, can you come and read? Thanks. So the reading from uh, Romans chapter 14 and it's verses 1 to 13. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume that he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what each other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or, say, one person thinks that some day should be set aside as holy and another thinks that 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 day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake, If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God, and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God, and thank God for broccoli. I meant that, I'm a nutritionist. None of us are permitted permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not to each other. That's why Christ lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly, or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in scripture. 
As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. And the NIV version here says, stop passing judgment on one another. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. Thanks, Beth. So let's just be clear, the arguments between these two different groups aren't between the central truths of the gospel. Um, It was the non-essentials that were causing conflict. Uh, And um, it was about food and observing the holy days that Paul's talking about here. So in the first couple of verses, is he saying tolerate fellow believers who don't see things the way you do and make sure you put them right. No, he's saying welcome them with open arms. That suggests warmth and love and acceptance. And right off, that's quite challenging to do that when somebody disagrees with us. Even when they have strong but, but misguided opinions. We're meant to treat them gently. They have their own history to deal with. So let's just think about that for a second. So at the cross, we've all been saved by God's grace and mercy. And I think salvation is one of those things that we think it's a one-off thing and we get it at that moment when we receive Jesus. And indeed, that's true. But actually the work of salvation takes a whole lifetime, that ongoing healing, saving and delivering from our sin patterns, our thought patterns, our hurts and wounds and all of that. That all takes a lifetime and um, we need to really bear with one another on that. So with these two groups, you've got, who both agree at the cross... You've got the pagan Christians, the Gentile Christians over here, and I don't know very much. I know a lot of you will probably know a lot more about them than I do, but um, basically I think the paganism wasn't a particularly spiritual thing. They worshipped many gods, and um, uh, I think the point was to appease the gods so that you won favour, and much of that was about um, sacrificing meat to idols. And on the other side, you've got the Jews who um, grew up absolutely infused with laws about food and uh, what's unclean and what you can eat and you can't eat and the whole sense of actually you can't come into the Lord's presence unless you've had some ritual cleansing um, and all of that is so ingrained, it's actually really hard for them to let go of that. Um, So here they are coming together and trying to work out how they can be church together and live the truths of the gospel together. So they come from very different places. And presumably as the Jewish Christians came in, they would eat together. But of course, then the Gentiles who had no problem with food 
because it wasn't an issue for them, actually offended the Jewish Christians because they were eating all these foods that they couldn't in conscience eat. Um, so if you think again about them being at the cross, I mean, actually no food in itself is unclean. But the Gentiles get there from a place where it's not a problem for them to believe that Christ is the one who cleanses us. But the Jews have got these very, the Jewish Christians have got these very sort of deep beliefs that's much more difficult for them to shake off and work through. So in, in this particular instance, I think Paul is referring to the, um, the Gentiles as the more mature in faith because they're the ones that know that there's not, not an issue with food. It was said that while it took the Lord 40 days to get the Israelites out of Egypt, it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And I suggest that that's probably true for us in different ways when we are saved, that whole journey of uh, walk of salvation. Steve Martin said, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. But whatever we do is matters of conscience. We're to do to the glory of God, because actually those things are so secondary, they really don't, you know, they don't matter that much. It's not worth you know, making a big fuss about. But in the same way, Paul is saying, actually, if we know that we have a freedom in something and it's going to offend somebody else, we need just to sort of lay aside that freedom um, to help the other person. So, for instance, if we were to invite... Um, somebody for supper who has a problem with alcohol, then though we really enjoy a glass of wine and there's nothing wrong in itself with drinking alcohol in moderation, actually, out of respect for them, we wouldn't have wine on the table that night. So I think that's what Paul is talking about, really. So we need to hold our freedom carefully so that we don't accidentally use it as a weapon or damage others who are less mature in the faith. And we need to understand it may take, it will take people varying amounts of time to work things out. But for too long, I think, people outside the church have looked in and seen us as bodies of believers arguing and tearing one another to bits and um, criticizing and judging one another. And Jesus says in John 13:35, By this everyone will know you are my disciples that you love one another. So why on earth would people outside want to know Jesus when that's how his family behave? Now we share this space here with the Orthodox Church and the Lutherans periodically go up to St. Thomas's and we've got Whitcomb Baptist down the road and Union Chapel up the hill. Um, and there will be numerous differences between us all but actually, what unites us is so much greater than what divides us. And we can, I think we can, if we choose to look at what we have that's similar or the same, it's really interesting to understand about the differences 
between us because we get much more of a picture of the glory of God as we see what other people bring to the table. What we see is only a part of who God is. So we need to be actually looking out and bearing with people when they're doing things that we don't agree with, just as they have to bear with us. So let's just think for a moment about passing judgment and what it means. I've got a catchy little definition, which is criticise or condemn someone from a position of assumed moral superiority. Ouch. Now, identifying what someone has or hasn't done is observation. But jumping to conclusions about why they might have done it or ascribing motives to them moves it into judgment. And Brennan Manning, who's a fantastic author, I really recommend his books, but he said in The Wisdom of Tenderness, none of us has ever seen a motive Therefore, we don't know and we can't do anything more than suspect what inspires the action of another. For this good and valid reason, we're told not to judge. So when we do pass judgment, we're assuming a position of moral responsibility. A dangerous place to be, I find. Speck of sawdust and plank come to mind. But it is really hard, isn't it? Because we live in a really judgmental culture. We live constantly with comparison, competition, unrealistic expectations, blame culture, all of that. People are digging the dirt on other people. And actually, sometimes it's a relief when people find someone else has made a mistake because it takes the focus off us. But I think we all have a real deep fear of not being good enough, which is absolutely fueled by the culture that we live in. We fear being found wanting the more we get to know people, and actually the deeper, the further we let them in. And I'm sure there are times when we've all felt unjustly judged and criticised, and crippled by it. But through feeling judged, we in turn judge others. It momentarily helps us to feel better about ourselves, but only momentarily. I know what it was like to be judged. My father was one. I hasten to add I love him very much. (laughs) But I often felt judged, and as children we were afraid that we'd get double time with no time off for good behaviour. So, uh, yeah, so I know what that feels like. Um, but until we invite Jesus to come and be Lord of our lives, then either we are enthroned on, as Lord and judge in our lives, or we allow others to be that, to judge who we are and how we live. And either way, that shifting sand. So when we give our lives to Jesus, we give up the right to being judge, and we give that to God. So having done that, when we then pass judgment on others, we've usurped him and resumed our position on the throne. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, by judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. And when we make a judgment, whether it's good or bad, something happens in our mind, we only notice what validates that judgment that we've made. Simon and Garfunkel had it right. A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. So we tend to experience people according to our judgments. And I remember struggling for quite a long period with somebody and going to see a wise friend who said, there is always one other fact about which you know nothing. And if you did know it, it would wholly change your perception. Someone else who I've never heard of, but I love this, said, judge tenderly if you must. There is usually a side you have not heard, a story you know nothing about, and a battle waged that you are not having to fight. The judgment is not an action fueled by love, but it is a sign that something in our heart needs to be changed. We have a hard or a sick heart, and it needs healing. Luke 6, verse 45 says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Brennan Manning again. The tragedy is that our attention centers on what people are not, rather than on what they are and who they might become. And we mustn't forget that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So where does that leave us when we criticize a brother or condescend to a sister? Well, looking pretty silly, Paul says. We're all going to have to give an account to God of how we've lived and loved, what we've done with what he's invested in us, And it's just not going to cut it if when we come before him we say, but look what Amanda did, or look what B said, or whatever, because we're going to have to give our own account. So Paul says, tend to your own knitting. I love that picture. I'm absolutely rubbish at knitting. So if I were knitting a scarf or a blanket square, and I was watching you, scrutinizing what you were doing, I would be dropping stitches all over the place. And my blanket square or my scarf would be more whole than scarf. Certainly wouldn't keep anyone warm and it wouldn't do the job it was meant to do either. So rather than passing judgment, what are we going to do instead that will offer the Lord's grace and mercy to others? Let's look to our own knitting and run our own race. And do we really think that we can stop passing judgment in our own strength? We need the power of God through the Holy Spirit to give us grace not to pass judgment. So let's clamber down off our thrones 
and come back to the cross. Let's remember the grace and mercy we've each received. And ask the Lord for his eyes to see and his heart to love others that we find difficult or those that we find who disagree with us. Let's remember the amazing mercy and grace that we've received and rely on him to do the transforming both in ourselves and others. Only he can do that. And I feel that there are some here this evening probably who felt so crushed under the weight of judgment by a parent that they feel they just can never measure up. And it's really hard to imagine that God the Father, whom we can't see, wouldn't just be a more severe uh, version of our parent. But when he was talking to Philip, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And in Colossians it said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So we can see who the Father is as we look at Jesus. When he lived among us, he loved to spend time with those on the edges, the marginalized, the broken, That's who he chose to be with. When the woman was caught in adultery, when he met Zacchaeus, when he met the woman at the well, there was no hint of judgment for them. His eyes were full of love. He saw who they were made to be and he loved them and showed them the path of hope. So in a minute, as Joel Joel and the band are going to come up and play a song over us, if that's you, I'd like you to invite the Father into your situation and ask him to show you the truth as he sees you and then receive that truth and allow him to embed it in your heart. And the other people I felt the Lord might want to touch this evening particularly, are those who actually know that they are holding judgments against people and a hardness has grown up in your heart. So if you're in that place of judgment about an individual or a group of people, ask him in to show you what the truth is about them. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would soften our hearts where we're standing either in judgment over ourselves or others. Pray that you'd encounter us in that place of hardness or hurt. So let's go back to the cross. And remember the grace he poured out for us.
everything that he took to the cross so that we might be free. Such amazing grace, the grace of God. When you have an encounter with the Lord like that, there's a real awareness. You're bringing a real awareness to your heart of that grace that's been poured out for you. And when you're in that place, you're so aware of that grace, it's impossible to pass judgment on anybody else. And when we're passing judgment, it's a sign that we're not feeling connected with that grace. But that grace is available for you tonight. He's here. And he wants to touch you. To heal you. And he'll be gentle with you. As he wants you to be gentle with others. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Minister to your children, I pray. Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Just let Joel sing and the band sing this over you. Let the Lord minister to you.